Ready? Okay. Give me a beach. Beach. Give me great food. Tacos. Give me adventure. Hiking. Give me a date night. Sunset cruise. Give me some smiles. Cheese. Give me more beaches. Beaches. What's that spell? San Diego. If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your trip at san diego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds. The 2024 presidential campaign features two candidates who are very well-known to Americans. And yet, there's complexity at every turn. Criminal trials for one of those candidates. Young voters who are angry. The Campaign Moment podcast from The Washington Post gives you what matters. I'm Aaron Blake, and I'm covering my 10th election cycle. My colleagues and I have insights that you won't find anywhere else. So follow the Campaign Moment right now, wherever you're listening. This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employer's respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste, or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products, because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger, fresh for everyone. A quick note for our listeners. This episode contains some adult themes and language which may not be suitable for children. Comedy is noble. You're just trying to make somebody laugh, which is make them breathe deeper. And you want to surprise them with these thoughts. That's what comedy is. It's just like a surprise. It's like, a let me show you a way that a mind can work that's not going to be yours. And that's really what comedy is at its base level. And part of that is being offended. My name is Jeffrey Zakarian, and you're listening to Four Courses with Jeffrey Zakarian from iHeartRadio. In four courses, I'll be taking you along for the ride while I talk with the top talent of our time. In each conversation, I focus on four different areas from my guest's life and career. And during those four courses, I'm going to dig deep and uncover new insights and inspirations that we can all use to fuel ourselves to push forward. My guest is the talented actor, musician, fashion designer, and author. She has year-long fermentation project bubbling in her basement, and she's on Rolling Stone Magazine's list of the 50 best stand-up comics of all time, and rightfully so. Please enjoy my surprising conversation with the hilarious, lovely, and thoughtful Margaret Cho. Hi. Hi, Margaret. Welcome. For our first course, Margaret described some formative stories from her childhood so vividly that you can probably smell them through your headphones. Do you grab a lot of material from like very early in your life or is it just all I relevant? Think so. Is it just all relevant as, as you, as you make it up as the day goes by? How, how do you stay relevant? It's really important to just stay teachable and keep learning and keep watching and society. So amazing at how we can communicate with each other now. I mean, I remember an era before the internet. Me so too. <laughs> we used to actually look in the newspaper for things to do and write it down. And if you met a friend 
you had to go. You couldn't just text them five minutes before it was going to begin. It, it was really a different era. So I appreciate all the advances, but they also helped me to do my work because then I can kind of record everything that I need to do. Just be more aware. I can take photographs. We used to have to take the pictures to a drugstore. I mean, do, you remember that? do you remember that? I mean, I tell yeah. my daughters, I have mm-hmm. three kids young and I tell my daughters, you know, I talk about faxing and, and like developing photos and they look at me like, you know, I don't think they've ever seen a rotary phone. I mean, it's kind of fascinating. But you know what? I just yeah, say, you know, incredible. I'm a child of the, uh, of the 60s and 70s, like kind of you are. And we got shit done. I mean, so yeah. things happen really. I, I don't I don't feel deprived. I feel like like I didn't jam in 20 megabytes of information in a day. I maybe got two. But I question whether I actually got two more coherent megabytes. And I had like a story I could tell versus like a non-story versus a snapshot. I feel like I, do you feel like this just a series of snapshots and you have to like put it aside, you know, because I try to relate it to my youth and it's so hard because I'm trying to learn lessons. Yes. How do you do that? I think part of me is sort of, I'm a little bit disappointed because I don't really remember what my era looked like. So I rely on other people's photographs because I didn't take photographs. I just wasn't present enough to do that. I mean, they exist but it's not as if I was taking them like now. Everybody's recording themselves all the time. I know, it's ridiculous. So it's interesting how I just have my memories to go by. <laughs> Did your parents take photos? Yes. My dad had a Canon. He loved it. And uh, he would actually develop them himself, which is pretty crazy, too. Where? In the house? So we had like one of those in the house in the, in the basement. In the basement with all of the kimchi jars. And gochujang jars and the oh chong, all the chongs. So they would make all the chongs. And then my grandparents would go to the park and forage for mountain herbs and things that they would like recognize from being in Korea and bring it home. They were protected plants, too. They were not supposed to take them out of the park, but they would just <laughs> so take what? them and eat them. And who did the cooking in your house? It was my grandparents um, and my mother and the entire extended family because everybody was doing a lot of fermenting. So you would have a big sort of seasonal kimchi thing or whatever vegetables in season. You would go and grab a whole bunch and of everybody them, get together on a pickles. table and start like cleaning yeah. and stuff. Is it that fantastic? Big bowls or like you would process shrimp or, or process break down squid, breaking down fish. So that was like a very big family thing. And, and kimchi was a very big, big family thing. I mean, now kimchi is like mayonnaise now. I mean, it wasn't like I just sort of basically was introduced to it maybe 15 years ago. But today, I mean, mm-hmm. I, you know, on the menu is kimchi omelet. It's kimchi. I had a kimchi cocktail the other day. It didn't really work. I'm just going to say Yummy. That. Yeah, it's kind of weird. It's, yeah. It's kind of that, that, that funk is much better, I think, in savory food. But it was interesting. And I, I have a, a, a such an affinity, I think. Korean food is so sophisticated, it's so overlooked, and it's it's one of the things I, I, I sort of been trying on the Food Network to like, we need to go here, we need to go here, we, I keep bringing it up. Yeah. And sometimes I get feedback that is like, well, we want to go there, but we don't think Connie in Ohio will get it. I'm like, who cares? It's just delicious, simple food, right? People getting around I the table. I think that they would get it, yeah. It's really just, it, it, it's really just switching fermentation from dairy to vegetable. And like root vegetables and cabbage. And I mean, you can kimchi fruit as well. 
I think if you made a, a martini, it would be like a dirty martini. That's what I would. That was, kimchi martini. I think that makes more sense. Something with gin or something that can handle it. I don't think it really goes well with something yeah, sweet. It's a weird one. Although we used to actually dip a really spicy kimchi in old school Seven Up <laughs> as um, part of an sort of a panchan aperitif. <laughs> It would be a really spicy kimchi that you almost couldn't handle. And so you would wash off the first layer of the spice in 7-Up. And it made a kind of, I mean, you didn't, I mean, I guess you could drink the 7-Up, but it, what it made, it, it made it mellowed the heat and gave it a layer of like very kind of corn syrup or something. So it was very sweet, but it was, it was interesting. Wow. So you really have an amazing you love going there with food. You, th- you, you, I mean, it's like having a basement of kimchi. What was that like? Was there the smell like come up to from the basement? It was so. It was like we were storing dead bodies. It was. <laughs> it was very stinky, and you know, it, it was. It would cause a lot of embarrassment when you would have like your white friends over. It was just like even other Asian people were like, "This is way too Asian for us." <laughs> it's like we were the most Asian people I knew because my grandparents also made medicine so they would get like an old slow cooker and there would be like rocks and roots and I don't even know shells stuff like that with no liquid and it would just heat up for days and then on a low setting and then they would just take it out and like put it in envelopes and it would be I mean it sounds like they're making meth (laughs) but it's not it was like for like tonics for like I don't know, any sort of like chi. I guess if you go to like a Chinese herbalist, that's what you would get. But they were doing it themselves. So mom or dad cooked the most? My mom cooked the most. But my dad had very specific things that he'd want to eat. And the biggest thing of the year was in San Francisco, where I grew up, we had the Dungeness crab. So they would go to Fisherman's Wharf and they would buy like 13 Dungeness crabs and they would steam them on the wharf. So... You, you would bring home these huge, huge crabs and then that were already steamed, that were still warm inside the paper package, and then the boudin bread, which is the sour bread, and um, have that with kimchi and 7-Up. I, so I love this 7-Up. I'm thinking of ways, which, which beverage, which spirit I would use. I think I might use like a, a white rum or something like that would make a delicious sort of yeah. something. Like just a, that would be good. On the rocks with maybe a squeeze of lime. Wouldn't that be cool? Yeah. That would be really great with a, yeah, with a little bit of lime. Then you have a sort of a fusion. It's very Caribbean, Korean kind of thing. It'd be good. Wow. Well, we're just making a menu here. I think we should like open a restaurant. I mean, why not? We should. I mean, why I'm not? I'm working on the jongs. The jongs, I have uh, dreams that I'm going to actually make the tenjang, which is the soybean. It's like miso, mm-hmm. but it's a lot funkier. And it takes a year and you have to do it with an electric blanket. And you just boil down like you make a paste out of the soybeans. And then you dry them out and make bricks. The junks. Wow. It's too much of a process because you have to hang the bricks and air dry them. And then the fermentation starts. I mean, it's just, but it's a year-long process. Sometimes there's other recipes that take like three years. And you need a basement. And those are the real. Yeah. Yeah. Or a, a pantry outside. Or a pantry outside. That's like fascinating. I mean, I really think that people, I, a lot of people in my generation still have parents that cooked and made their own things. I'm Armenian and we very much did that. We made our own yogurt, our own dried beef, our own mm. sujuk and all the stuff that was in the basement also, like dried 
I love it. You know that stuff in that bag, that roll, that roll up fruit. We make that on old tarp. So good. I mean, it's just so uh, delicious. And yeah, I go to an Armenian bakery here, and I get the stacks of like dried plums and dried peaches and dried uh, just everything pears. Oh, it's just divine. Unbelievable, unbelievable. So your parents sound like they had a really incredible effect on you. Are you still close? Yes. And, but they get really frustrated because they are on both on low sodium diets. <gasps> <laughs> so it's like very. Well, that's because they've been difficult. processing meth for 25 years. I know. They have been making all that meth for so long. So they're, I mean, and they're big foodies. So it's a very tough thing because the main ingredient, I mean, it really is all about salt, you know, and, and so they really, they have to go very bland. I mean, they can do a little bit of spice, but it's not much without the salt. So it's very sad. Oh gosh. I feel bad. I mean, I mean, gosh, your dad, he sounds like such a cool guy. I mean, he went from running an orphanage, I believe in Korea to running a Mm -hmm. bookstore. Oh, the, my grandfather ran an orphanage, and then my father was actually his biological son. So that's a very oh. strange identity to be the biological son of the guy that runs the orphanage. Oh and then, <laughs> okay. So he had to do a, a lot of the labor because he was a little bit older. And they're so backwards. My dad and his brother were in trouble, so they had to dig the outhouse, like, overnight because they got like punished so that was their punishment it was to dig this outhouse so they could be ready and then they found the body of a deserted soldier so they propped it up inside of the outhouse to scare their sister their adopted sister it's weekend at bernie's (laughs) i mean they're weekend at bernie's that's the kind of like old country comedy (laughs) that my family's based on so ridiculous it's very wicked at birdies so did you i mean i know your your dad was a minister i mean when you're a minister you're still a minister right you don't like resign do you i mean he's still a minister oh well well, my grandfather he was a my grandfather was a minister Mm -hmm. and then my dad was a he still does it from time to time but he was a a church pianist he's a pianist he plays piano yeah and he's he's like a accompanist does he, he doesn't write music. He's not a composer, but he he, he likes to play piano. Do you Pretty sing? Good. Do you sing to him? Because I know you're a musician as well. Yes, yes, we have done some music together, some spiritual music. I think that that's like their my my parents love choir choral singing. They love like Baptist kind of revivalist singing, all that older soul music they love. So it's very much part of our family to have these big singing parties. I think it's wonderful. I mean, imagine coming to your house. You you you, mm-hmm. you got the kimchi welcome. You break out the cocktails, yes. and then you have a choir and a yes. sing along. It's so fun. One time, white people came over in the seventies <laughs> because they were singing, and the food smelled so good. Uh, and these two beautiful, like teenage, like hippie, like kids, white these white kids with like bell bottoms and flowers in their hair walked in, and it was all these Korean people around a piano eating and dancing and laughing and they, these they they're, like, like, me up. they're like we love this what's happening it just sounded like so much fun and they're like oh this it made fun <laughs> that's not like but that's like that's not like really growing up at the church it sounds like it's more like a gospel experience versus like growing up at the church yeah so did you go for to sure. church every sunday or did you how did that work for you I did until I was probably about 14 and then I started doing stand-up comedy and then I was tired in, in the morning on, I was on Sunday and then I taught Sunday school 
through my early teens. I worked there. So I gained like a little bit of sort of area within the church because it was mostly just childcare. But, you know, because my family was part of it, it was that that was it. But then I I was like so tired because I wouldn't get home until like five in the morning after doing stand up comedy. So I was like, I'm not going to church. Forget it. No way. Mm -mm. So when you think about all those experiences, there's so much like love and and like clarity. I mean, having someone cook for you, having someone make your own food, having someone sing, having someone produce photographs, it's like instant clarity. I mean, that's a clarified mm-hmm. life. Very, You seem very grounded because of that experience. Am I wrong? Yeah, I think that's right. I think it's good. I mean, it gives me permission to try out different things and do whatever and feel like I can enjoy it. If I don't like it, I can give it up. There's never, never any sort of sense of like boundaries and creativity. Also, my family's just, they had a gay bookstore and they were super churchy and Korean. So that in itself is also very strange. And on our refrigerator, we had my father's favorite employee. He's still our friend named Forbes, who was covered in head to toe with tattoos. And on his tattoo is like, it's one of those bodysuits of Japanese monks, Buddhist monks, masturbating and it was his naked picture of his tattoo is on our was on our refrigerator growing up because it's like this this is my parents were just like this is so interesting this is our friend his body is completely tattooed i mean this is in like 1978 (laughs) (laughs) when did did the bells go off you realize what was going on well my mother had to explain to me what gay people were before they bought, they bought the bookstore in like 1977. Unknown, that unknown, they just bought it? They bought it. Well, they knew that it was a gay bookstore. They just bought it because they wanted a bookstore. But they were like, well, it's a gay bookstore. That's fine. <laughs> and then they just implanted themselves within the gay community there. <laughs> that's fantastic. But the, all, the, all the kids there were working were getting tattooed. They were following Harvey Milk. They were getting wow. lots of piercings. And they were all in love with my father. He's very handsome. So they were painting oil paintings of him. And he would put them up. They're all still up around his house. I think I have one somewhere. That's beautiful. But it's, you know, it's really beautiful because he loves, my father loves male attention. Male attention. He he loves any kind of attention that specifically denotes his beauty because <laughs> he feels like it's underrated. He's a very <laughs> handsome man, but he feels like people don't talk enough about it. So he oh, really appreciates the attention from gay men. It's beautiful. <laughs> I mean, I, I appreciate the attention anywhere I can get it. I mean, I understand where he's coming from. Me too. He sounds so accepting. Am I reading that yeah. wrong? Is he, he seems very no. accepting. They're very accepting. And I think that keeps them young. You know, they're 80, They're both 84. They just got the second vaccine God last bless. Wow. Wednesday. That's fantastic. So, so party time. It's really good. They're really Break healthy. out the choir. Yeah. Get the kimchi going. Break out the choir. They can do anything, which is great. You know, they're both spiritual, but it also sounds like they really were so grounded in the real world, which is lovely. A lot of people don't have mm-hmm. that that, yeah. that foundation of like reality. They're like, they're taught these values. Yeah. They're like, no, you got to do this. You can't do that. You can't do this. They just, they were kind to everyone. And that was their value base. I think so. Well, I think it was because they came to America in 1964 and had to deal with so much racism. Awful, yeah. And a lot of difficulties you know it was a difficult time to come here i mean all the beatles were the one they were they had fun but i think everybody else had a hard time coming from different countries and so it was they were super young they were super like traumatized by a lot of 
the biases, the cultural discrimination they experienced, that it, I think it made them very open to other people, the other, whatever that is, they were very accepting of. There's a lot happening these days. But I have just the thing to get you up to speed on what matters, without taking too much of your time. The 7 from the Washington Post is a podcast that gives you the 7 most important and interesting stories, and we always try to save room for something fun. You get it all in about 7 minutes or less. I'm Hannah Jewell. I'll get you caught up with The 7 every weekday. So follow The 7 right now. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snagajob is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On-demand, temp to hire, part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snagajob's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. Like many of us, you might think identity theft will never happen to you. But consider this. There's a new identity theft victim every three seconds in the U.S. That's over 15 million people by the end of this year, equal to the populations of New York, Los Angeles, and Chicago combined. Even worse, identity theft victims often don't even know they're victims. That's why LifeLock Identity Theft Protection alerts you to identity threats, even the ones that don't show up on a credit report, like data breaches, fraudulent bank transactions, loan and credit card applications, and crimes committed in your name. If your identity is stolen, your own dedicated LifeLock U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. LifeLock protects you in ways that you simply can't on your own. Join now and save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com iHeart. That's LifeLock.com iHeart to save up to 25%. Identity theft protection starts here. Picasso knows your vacation home is your best home. It's the place that brings family and friends together. It's where you're the best version of yourself. Picasso makes it easy to co-own a luxury vacation home in amazing locations. Listings start at 200K for one-eighth ownership. Picasso does the hard parts for you. Luxury furnishings, maintenance, billings, scheduling, and more with a home management team that provides support before, during, and after your stay so you can focus on the relaxing, hosting, and making memories with family and friends. And you can resell on Picasso's marketplace anytime, historically for a 10% gain. With Picasso, you can stop saying someday and start building family traditions today in a vacation home you own and revisit time after time. Visit Picasso.com today to see thousands of luxury vacation home listings. 
That's PACASO.com. For our second course, Margaret filled me in on some of the finer details of Korean culture and philosophy. Where, where are they from? What's their, their, their town that they grew up in? We are from Pusan, which Pusan. is kind of like, Pusan is like, it's the Jersey Shore of South Korea. I mean, it's really, <laughs> that is, it's more working class, mm-hmm. but their wealth is a very nouveau riche. So they show it whenever they, when they, when they get it, they show it as, as soon as they can. So there's something about it. This, the style is, it's like similar to Essex yep. in London. It's, it's bridge and tunnel. Really? Have you visit? have you go back at all? Yes. What do you do when you're there? Whenever I go back, I go to the market. I eat a lot of tteokbokki, which is the rice cakes mm-hmm. in the hot, spicy red sauce, and with egg and fish cake. And I like to go and I I like to just eat everything in the marketplace. I mean, that's all I do is like if I go to vacation or if I work there, I do comedy in in Korea. I'll go and I'll just eat, which I I think is so it's so special and it's so different. Even if I'm just going, like, I'll go to Jeju Island just to eat the tangerines, which are a big winter treat. Tangerines? They're from they're halabong, which is, like, these perfect, delicious, like, almost like mandarin oranges. They're really specific to the island, but they're so, so very good. But have, Jeju Island is like an, a volcanic island. Do they have, like, a thin skin or are they thick skin? Do they peel very easily? Very they peel very easily. So they just pop off. They're just really sweet and really juicy, but they're also very, they're kind of rare. They only happen a couple of weeks a year. So how often do you visit? I was going once every two years. until I was supposed to go last year. So I think I probably won't go this year either. I mean, it's it's so hard to know. It's so hard to know. So I, I would love to go as I get more fluent in the language. I'm getting better and better. So hopefully in time, I'll be able to do an entire show there. Usually when I go, I have a translator. Really? So now I'll go and I'll just do it in Korean, which hopefully I can do. I, does I, I it just translate? Have, to have to work on it. How does that translate? That, it that, does. It does. It does because they know so much about American culture and K-pop is so big. It's yeah. global. So everybody sure knows is. these certain things and and K-dramas are so big, so everybody knows about that. And, you know, when you go over there and you're an older, established artist, you're immediately given a lot of welcome and hello and, like, very excited. I'm a lot like the Dolly Parton of Korea. (laughs) (laughs) Everybody gets really excited. I'm thinking of Dolly Parton and bodies being found in the backyard and Weekend at Bernie's right now. It's very different. Lots of different things happening. So you're, you're really <laughs> welcome. People like love you. They love the, the shit out of you. Yes. And it's really fun to go. And I just, I also just love to be there. I love all of the culture. Like I love all of the TV and the movies and you know, it's a very special place. That's great. I mean, I, I wish I had a place to go back to that I was born in. That wasn't, you know, a, a, I wish I'd go back to Armenia and, and do that, but I can't. You spent a lot of time fighting off like the negative stereotypes of culture, the Korean culture. But it seems like on the flip mm-hmm. side, what is like the sort of the beautiful, positive stuff about the Korean culture that like really no one knows? You know, your father knows, your mother knows, your your grandparents knew. What are those specific things that you would you would love to to share and people would love to know? Well, there's like a kind of a nameable sadness that it's called Han, Han? in Portuguese. It's called Han, 
it, in Portuguese, it's called saudade, which is like a, a melancholy of, there's no real English translation, but it's a kind of melancholy of past love that a beautiful pain that is what Koreanness is all about. Han and Jong. Jong is a nameless love that is so deep. So that's like familial love or friendship love, sometimes romantic love, but it's more about a love that is really just all encompassing and very, very much sort of rooted. So those Han and Jong are the two big sort of elements of Koreanness that are really beautiful. They're present in all of our art and music and television and movies and everything about Koreanness can be boiled down to Han and Jong. Wow. Just two things. Mm-hmm. So what pain and love. <laughs> pain, well, that's kind of, you know, it's kind of popular here too, I guess. But do you think there yeah. is something about, you mentioned before, very, I was very uh, disturbed by it. Like there was a, a huge suicide in, in, in Korea. Why do you think so? The worst. And uh, for you, you have the because suicide, then you have plastic surgery. How is, yeah, what does that a, mean? It, it, it's this weird perfectionism that there's a standard oh. that there's only like three big schools. So if you don't get into those schools, like your life is like. You're toast ruins, you know, and that there's this little competition. There's this idea of lack in society. There's only so many places that so many, there's no feeling of abundance that everybody can be served in something. So, you know, there's that mentality really doesn't, doesn't help us. And there's a, there's no um, real support for mental health. There's no real support for anybody who feels different or the outsider. There's a lot of bullying in schools, which is really very normalized. And so there's a lot of problems that exist because of our inability to accept certain aspects of humanity. But I think that overall, the the culture of it, it, of this beauty and pain and sadness and deep love is really remarkable. It's, a, it's tragic. It's sort of tragic and, and gorgeous at the same time. For the third course, we had to talk comedy. I was surprised to learn that her first mentor was someone at the very top of her profession. I, you know, I was going to say, well, where'd you get your first break? There's no such thing as a first break. It's sort of like a first little crevice that you, you found. What is that sort of thing where you felt and you said to yourself, I have all this incredible experience and I find, I find that I'm actually very funny. I think I'm funny. What crevice did you open to sort of make that happen for yourself? It was Jerry Seinfeld. It was him. That, Jerry, that, Jerry that bigger guy sure. is incredible. Yeah. Yeah. It's like he, having Jesus come very to you, you know? supportive. Yeah. He loves comedy. And he's really a fan of the art form. Like, it's, he's not jaded about any of it at all. And it's really incredible that he just enjoys, enjoys it so much. And he has great taste. He has a great sort of eye for talent and he's very constructive too with his ideas and so when I performed he saw me and he was like very much like you know I am not sure what you decided to do with your life you're very young but if you wanted to be a comedian and actually did this you will have a very a a very interesting career and a really good time and I believed it you know I thought that's really the best vote of confidence anybody could give you. I mean, I heard a podcast from him. I was so impressed. I didn't realize how much work he puts into his his acts. Mm-hmm. It's it's days and days of yeah. segmenting and how to wait for that right. The, it's just it's very deliberate. It's not like off the cuff stuff. He said, "I really go off the cuff." It's yeah. very scripted, which I it's it doesn't feel it, which I guess is what real talent is when you don't we don't feel that right. Are you scripted like that? Yeah. Or are you are you just like 
get out there, read the audience, you're like, oh, I got to change up here. Well, both. I, I think there's different things, but you do have to be craftsmen. You know, there is a structure that you follow and there are things that we know about shows and about people and what the expectations are and what you have to deliver. But then there's this sort of like manic place where you can do different kinds of things, which I, I really like. But I feel like what I love about Jerry Seinfeld is his precision, you know, he's really, he's, he's an incredible artist because he really is. It's in those details, in those finer details. It's, it's really brilliant. And you know, I'm lucky enough to know him and, and consider him a friend and, you know, known him all this time. It's it's really great. Someone who reminds me of him a lot is one of my favorites. It's sort of my time. I'm just a- I'm aging myself. But George Carlin, I think, had this, oh, I love him. this sense of storytelling that was just, yeah. it was so physical. You know, his, he, was, he had this yeah. physicality that was, I don't know, he couldn't explain it, right? And I, he was so... He was great. And he was so obvious. He was way ahead of his time. Yeah. Who are the people that are like really like make you laugh in a way that isn't just because of they're funny. They they make you laugh in a different way. Well, the ultimate is Joan Rivers. Ultimate. Uh, she was really incredible for for what she was able to accomplish as a person and you know what she did and she was a great friend and a mentor and also somebody that was just so incredibly encouraging but just raunchy. Like I'm raunchy. I would go see her. I would be embarrassed. I'm embarrassed. (laughs) If I'm embarrassed, there's a problem. So it was very intense to see somebody that was just so willing to just do whatever. And then, you know, the same thing as Don Rickles. Oh, again, the same kind of spirit. It's really magnificent. You know, these guys are just so they're so special. On modern days, I love uh, Tignataro. I love Wanda Sykes is my favorite. Great, great. And a good friend. Great comedian. You know, I love Bill Burr. And I, I love Dave Chappelle. And, you know, there's so many great comedians. And even if we're in lockdown, we still get to hear from them, which is really a wonderful gift. It is. Dave Chappelle is a special dude, I'll tell you. But I also like yeah. Sebastian Moskoko. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. His, his physical. I love the physicality of that. And I don't know. Can you? It's I like that you don't even. Aren't you embarrassed? Like, it's like, almost, it's like he, he almost doesn't have. He doesn't have to say anything. It's just his. It's his face and shoulders. And I tell people he doesn't tell one joke. He just explains life. When he wakes He's, up, he'll explain going to a coffee shop. And it's funny. And it's it's his manner. Uh, I mean, it's a body. What is happening now with the world of comedy where the, we're like so afraid of insulting people and telling a joke and we have to like apologize before we breathe. How is this going to, how is this going to end up? I mean, obviously how do you, when you go on a stage, you're going to be going on a stage in six months and you're going to go maybe Mm -hmm. a college or an audience. How are you going to offend people correctly? How do you do that? Well, you have to you have to just do it in a way that is like lighthearted and in the spirit of like comedy's noble. You're just trying to make somebody laugh, which is make them breathe deeper. And you want to surprise them with these thoughts. That's what comedy is. It's just like a surprise. It's like a let me show you a way that a mind can work that's not going to be yours. And that's really what comedy is at its base level. And part of that is being offended. So I think it's really acceptance of the nature of what comedy is and breaking it down to those philosophical forms, but also knowing that it's just going to make us better at 
the art form. You know, the more restrictions that you put in place in terms of the creative mind, the the more it blooms because you just you have to fill up that space. So I think it's it's ultimately going to be good for comedy. I hope it, it's in an interesting time now. You you said once that people are, are like open to your ideas if you give it to them with like a laugh and some humility. So they'll take a shot. Yes, you, I agree. You, I think that it's that's true. Do you see that? I mean, have you ever gotten? Do you get like booed or like hissed at now? I mean, I've watched some people who and I've listened to some podcasts where people are afraid to even go to a college campus anymore and do their routine. I mean, Chris Rock said he'll never do it again. Yes, I think that he can. I think we all can. I think it's really something that you have to understand is that I feel like there was always this dissent. Yeah. But we didn't have a place to show it. Now that social media exists, now people just have a platform to express their dissatisfaction, whatever that might be. And that's valid. You know, I think it's fine. Like, I'm not afraid to say whatever it is, because I know the intention is always going to be good. Yeah. And I think so. What do you say to a young entertainer or someone who is like a comedian or an actor or someone who's just starting out? How do you how do you what would you do to encourage them, especially as a, as a young comic? Because there are so many great young comics. What would you say to them? You're now the yeah. Jerry Seinfeld. You're now giving advice. Oh. Well, you, you're you're giving advice in a very you have a very spectacular like platform that's very different. It's mm. very political. Yeah. It's motivating for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. So how do you what do you say to them so they can still be bring that joy but be themselves? Well, both to be joyful, to be themselves, to know that we're in the kind of a minefield when it comes to people getting offended and people being afraid to talk about certain things, but to not be afraid of the the joy that you get out of performing and to always go for that and to always serve your own master, whatever that thought is, whatever the joke is, the joke is really in control. So you have to sort of serve the joke as a joke is going to be brought forth. And, and, and I think it's really, you know, it's all about trial and error. It's never done in a day. There's no such thing as an overnight sensation. There really isn't. I mean, we think that there are, and maybe society would sort of make us think that there are, but there really aren't. You know, everybody that wants to do this spends years trying to figure it out. So try to figure out what you are and who you are and what you want. So like if you're, if you wake up in the morning, you're like, I just, I want to work on this. I really am feeling this. I, I really want to get to this place comically and emotionally. Where is that next step for you? It doesn't have to be like a step that makes you money, but where do you want to get to that, that comically and emotionally you feel good about? I think it's really just about figuring out what this era is, you know, kind of like, where are we going to be after COVID as a society? And what is that going to look like both inside and out? You know, what is our like day to day going to look like? And then also what's our moment to express all that we've learned? I think that we as a society have actually changed a lot, even in a quarantine, which is impressive and we can continue to grow. So I think I just want to be better. I just always want to be a better artist and also just kind of move into a place of like feeling very comfortable with age. You know, I'm in my 50s now, which feels great. So I think it's really something to be celebrated. When you, I mean, obviously there's going to be a time when COVID is like away from us. So like, you know, tragedy plus time equals comedy. So when can we start Uh doing the COVID? I think the COVID jokes are already coming. They're coming. Because everybody suffered it. It's not like it's one group of people. It's like the entire globe. Yeah. Everybody suffered and everybody... Are you diving into that? Do you have some serious material ready for that? 
I think so. I think like what I think it's going to happen though, it'll be a lot like after the 1918 pandemic, there was such a huge cultural revival with flapper dresses and bobbed hair and prohibition and all that kind of stuff. So I think that, you know, everybody's calling it the whoring 20s, the 2020s. (laughs) They're going to be, everybody's hooking up and it's going to get crazy, which I think is funny and really fun. So we'll see how that goes. What is the best advice you've gotten that you actually listen to without any, I I, I get defensive and I'm like, so certain someone tells me, tells me something that's good for me. I'm like, get the away from me. What, what sunk into you? What like got to you that you really hear over and over all the time? I don't know if I heard it over and over, but Joan, uh, Joan Rivers would say it over and over that like in comedy, the older you get, the more they'll want you. And I think that's a good, it's a good thing to note for women in comedy. It's a great, and it, I find that to be true. So I'm grateful for her for telling me because a lot of times people think actresses after a certain age, you, you know, you don't see them anymore. But that's not true for comedians. You see them forever. The 2024 presidential campaign features two candidates who are very well known to Americans. And yet, there's complexity at every turn. Criminal trials for one of those candidates. Young voters who are angry. The Campaign Moment podcast from The Washington Post gives you what matters. I'm Aaron Blake, and I'm covering my 10th election cycle. My colleagues and I have insights that you won't find anywhere else. So follow the Campaign Moment right now, wherever you're listening. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a Job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snag a Job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. Picasso knows your vacation home is your best home. It's the place that brings family and friends together. It's where you're the best version of yourself. Picasso makes it easy to co-own a luxury vacation home in amazing locations. Listings start at 200K for one-eighth ownership. Picasso does the hard parts for you. Luxury furnishings, maintenance, billings, scheduling, and more with a home management team that provides support before, during, and after your stay so you can focus on the relaxing, hosting, and making memories with family and friends. And you can resell on Picasso's marketplace anytime, historically for a 10% gain. With Picasso, you can stop saying someday and start building family traditions today in a vacation home you own and revisit time after time. Visit Picasso.com today to see thousands of luxury vacation home listings. That's P-A-C-A-S-O dot This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. 
When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. For our fourth and final course, I had to ask Margaret about her life in Los Angeles, the food that she loves there, and the ambitious recipes that she's preparing at home. How do you sort of be productive in a day? So when you wake up in the morning, what's the first thing your mind goes to and, and, and productively? So it's like sort of self-care. Like when you say, okay. Usually it's like writing things down. Like I have a bunch of notebooks everywhere. And so it's like sort of writing things down and trying to figure out what's going to happen. I have like a lot of, like I usually, before I go to bed, I'll write a sort of a list of things that I need to do the next day. And then I'll sleep, sort of sleep on it. So the creative projects that I need to sort of take care of or think about. A list. And then it kind of got, yeah, it's a list that sort of guides me into the next project, whatever that is, you know, it depends on what's happening. But the, and then and then there's just like sort of detail oriented stuff. A lot of business now is about self promotion too. So how can we figure out what that looks like in this pandemic? And and people are doing it online and and figuring it out. So that's good. But so there's different things like that. Marketing things and creative things they go hand in hand. Do you like meditate or I do you know or anything physical? I mean, you seem like you're such a you you seem so like alive like constantly how do you feel oh, how do you nice. fuel that i mean you're like you're bursting at well the uh, i do i have a very active chihuahua <laughs> i have two very young cats who are very need a lot of play and attention they all eat raw which they is eat a raw. They're raw it's a lot of work <laughs> they make i make their raw food which is like a lot but that's fun I, I do a lot of different kinds. Like I exercise with them. You know, my cats aren't able to walk on a leash yet. They're too little, but they, she loves to just go. So we go on long hikes and walks on in the, in the woods and which is really nice. It makes me feel like a country gentlewoman when I'm walking in my boots and big jacket. So that's, I do like long physical sort of like hikes and stuff. So you're, you're basically, you self-stop by like breathing and walking and just, it's mostly it like because you have to get to because I, I I have depression so I have to take a lot of exercise I can't I don't want to take any kind of medication not that there's anything wrong with it but I just feel like nothing has ever worked for me except for extra consistent exercise which is the worst thing and the best thing so it's kind of you can't win but well what's the exercise what exercise do you do other than walk you do anything other than walking you you box? No, I just walk. walk. Oh, no, no, no. <laughs> Nothing like that. Nothing that hardcore. Nothing that hardcore. How is it in LA there? Have they open things up it's a, a bit? Little, it's a little, oh, well, it's a little bit, you know, it depends on where it is. There's some places that are very just doing takeout. I mean, everybody's struggling here, which is really, I try to support the takeout as much as I can. 
And there's some, I think, outdoor dining options. It's just really rough, you know? And so it, it, I, I think that it's something that makes me really appreciate restaurants much more than I ever did. I really miss the restaurant experience. I just can't get my pans hot enough. <laughs> to get a good sear. I'm scared to do well, the Alton Brown thing and put the cast iron in the oven. I should just put it in the oven. It's going to be okay. If you put it in the oven, trust me, it's a 2,000-year-old you know, technology. It's a piece of metal. So nothing's going to happen yes. to it. It's just you got to use a mitt because it does get very hot. Yes. Yeah, it's not and like it's very. One. It's no. And it's very scary, though, just to get it that ripping hot. And then I also do a lot of Korean cooking here. And I'm afraid to get the granite bowls and the stone bowls as hot as they need to be. You know, the ceramics, yeah. I just, I, I can't really do it on the stovetop. I get nervous. My oven mitts only go to 500. <laughs> <laughs> we have to solve so this I'm problem. I'm not sure. We have to solve this problem. I can problem. handle the bread cloche, but I can't. I don't, the terracotta bread cloche is fine. But the Korean granite, I don't know. I get real nervous. So that's why I want to go to restaurants. Do you cook? Mm -hmm. You mentioned cast iron every, every day. Every day. I have like the, the Korean thing where I do like the cook. I have a pot of rice is always plugged in. Okay. <laughs> so do you have, do you have like a specific diet? Are you like, like vegan or you, or keto? Yeah. Where do you, where are you trending? No. Do you trend anywhere? No, I, I love it all. You know, I do go through, I went through a serious like Thai food thing this year. So I was going to the Thai markets and I bought a big mortar and pestle. I have two mortar and pestles. The best. One of them is so big. I have to sit on the ground with a skirt on and put it between my legs and pound it. Yeah. That's how determined I am to get this dish right. I pound everything. I tell people that there's no way to make a pesto, a spice mixture. You must grind your herbs and spices. There's no you have complete to. because of the oil. The oils, if you put it in a blender, the oils go away and it's just, it's not the same. It's not the same at all. If you make yeah, it, especially a salsa verde. So you cook every day, you love your animals and you cook for your animals. Yeah. No, no, your animals are raw. They eat raw. They're raw. Do you mm -hmm. cook for your parents? Are they close enough to... They can't eat the well. They're wow. in San Diego, so they're not very far. They can't eat anything salty, and I always put too much fish sauce in everything. Oh, so they can't so have that. I love a fish sauce. They can't have that. I love a fish sauce. I love like a smoked soy sauce, a smoked shoyu. I love you know like a hijiki black vinegar. Mm. Like I like to turn it up with these odd sort of condiments. From when you were in San Francisco, when did you move uh, out of there, and like what was the transition? I mean, you have the culture of San Francisco, which you know, back then was very vibrant. I mean, that was crazy, right? I mean, that was the mm -hmm. 70s and 80s in San Francisco were like very special. And it was like- Very special. It was rock and roll basically. So mm -hmm. when did you, how, how did that affect you? And when did you sort of leave it? And you, no, you never leave it. But when did you decide to say, you know, I've had, I want to see something else? Well, I moved initially from San Francisco to Los Angeles in 1991. And it was different because L.A. is rough so, it's, it was a difficult time there. L.A. Oh, was riots. so kind of rough. And, oh, yeah, I was here for that, the L.A. riots. And it was also very segregated. So you had the Latino sections, you had yeah. the Korean sections, you had the black sections, you had Beverly Hills, you had all of these different. And then the Armenian section, which is Glendale, it's definitely like food-wise, you're really spoiled for choice. The food is like, Great. And the Mexican yeah. food, I think, 
there is a lot of Mexican food in San Francisco, but it's very San Francisco style with the giant Mission Street burritos, and that's its own thing. But here, it's all about tacos, which are so great. So you feel very, you seem that you're very comfortable uh, where you are and in, in Los Angeles, and uh, you feel very comfortable in your skin. Yes. You feel LA has really sort of changed for the better? Because it seems like you mm, seem very LA's very different, there. yeah. It's great. I mean, I love Los Angeles. I love, I, I love being here. It's very diverse. People think it's all movie stars and beaches, but there's so not, much yeah. to Los Angeles. It's really incredible place to live. I'll always live here. And I'm just really happy in my life. You know, it's so I think it shows. But as an artist, like I'm in a good place of like creating because I don't have a lot of other aspects of my existence except for my house, my animals, my career. You know, there there's just a lot of time that I have for myself, which is really good. What are your favorite restaurants there in LA? I mean, I'm, I'm, I love it there. I love... Have you been to Felix, um, the Italian place? Felix? Oh, God. Have I? I think I have. I love I love all of the different, like, I love Moza. Moza's great. Is my, oh, my God. Oh, if you like Moza, you got to go to Felix. I just love, I have to go to Felix, yeah. But I love, Moza's, like, probably my favorite. And then I have, a, I made Nancy Silverton's sourdough starter with the grapes. So. She's the best. That's, she, her, her bread, everything. It's just beautiful. I miss that restaurant the most, I think. She's such a genius. She is a genius. I, I love her to death. Just, I just love watching her. I sit at that mozzarella bar. You know, she has an explosion in her mind and she goes for that. She understands what's going to go together. It's like this magical little act right in front of her. And she makes medicine for you. And, it, and her food is like medicine. It's so delicious. And that's mm -hmm. how I think of... It's so delicious. And that, that's how I think of almost comedy. I think it's almost like this... You sit down and you're going to get a dose of something that's going to make you feel good. So what better way to feel good? I, I think of, of comedy as, as, as medicine. And, I, and I, I just love talking to you. I could talk to you forever. I'm so excited yes. that I met you. We, my, my wife is, shares our, our, the name Margaret. So I, I think it's a beautiful name. And you're such a beautiful person. Well, I'm going to let you go. It's almost, it's probably, I don't know if you've had lunch yet. But I hope you have a delicious lunch and a delicious day. And thank you so much. Thank you. I really appreciate it. I hope we get to talk again. Have a wonderful day. I hope so. And a wonderful week. Thank you. You too. Thank, thank you. you. Cheers. Thanks very much for listening to Four Courses with Jeffrey Zakarian, a production of iHeartRadio and Corner Table Entertainment. Our executive producer is Christopher Hasiotis. Four Courses is created by Jeffrey Zakarian, Margaret Zakarian, Jared Keller, and Tara Halper. Four Courses is produced by Jonathan Hawes Dressler with editing and mixing from Joe Tisdall. Our research is conducted by Jessalyn Shields. Four Courses is engineered by Molly Swanson. Our talent booking is by Pamela Bauer at Dogtown Talent. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, 
We've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350-plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeart Radio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo play. Nobody wants to outlive their money, but it happens, especially for women. That's why Gainbridge offers the Parity Flex annuity, designed for women's unique retirement needs, with flexible withdrawals plus a guaranteed lifetime income benefit that keeps paying you even if your account balance is zero. Gainbridge is helping build a better financial future for women. Retirement income you can't outlive is the ultimate flex. Start saving now at Gainbridge.io. Visit Gainbridge.io/ParityFlex for current rates, full product disclosures and disclaimers, and other important information. This message comes from Viking, committed to exploring the world in comfort. Journey through the heart of Europe on an elegant Viking longship with thoughtful service, destination-focused dining, and cultural enrichment on board and on shore. And every Viking voyage is all-inclusive with no children and no casinos. Discover more at Viking.com.